My name is Todd Searle. I'm obsessed with watches. I pay attention to them everywhere I see them. I'm specifically focused on independent watchmaking, a niche world within the watchmaking sphere inhabited by some of the most talented watchmakers and most interesting people and interesting stories from around the watch world. On Forward Momentum, we'll talk about watches, cars, the luxury goods market, and of course, a little bit of Formula One. Join me as I interview the journalists, retailers, and collectors who support these independent brands. And of course, we will certainly hear from the watchmakers themselves. Welcome back to Forward Momentum. What's happening, watch fans? Welcome back to Forward Momentum. I'm your host, Todd Searle. And in season two, we're talking about independent watchmaking and telling the story of independent watchmaking, where it's come from, what it is today, and where it's going. Today, it is my extreme pleasure to welcome Lucas Oprana to the podcast. He has watchmaking in his blood. He's worked in the industry for a long time. He's worked for big brands like Patek Philippe and Rolex. He's worked in restoration, concept development for other brands. He's a watchmaker's watchmaker. He's focused on the development of the mechanical side of watchmaking, and it really is his first true love. He's a deep thinker. He's someone who is spinning many plates at all times, to which I can relate. And he's just a very enjoyable human with whom to spend time. We first met at Watches and Wonders 2023, and uh, it's my extreme pleasure to welcome Lucas Soprano to Forward Momentum. <laughs> Luke, how, how are you doing today? Very nice, uh, very nice introduction. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Yeah, today I'm going, I'm going fine. Uh, from time to time, you hear the the barking of my dog that is always next to me in the <laughs> in the workshop. What? So, so if you get some funny noise, you know that is is he is she actually. <laughs> what kind of dog about. do you have? I have a Lagotto that is a truffle dog. Ah, okay. An Italian truffle dog. So are you, aside from making watches, are you uh, are you out hunting for truffles uh, when you get a chance? Uh, I would love to have the time. I would like to have the chance. <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> but I try to train her to, to, to become a good uh, uh, truffle hunter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love truffles, so... <laughs> I think you're not in a minority there. I think uh, I think most yeah, people yeah. Uh, love truffle. Uh, so I, I think it's worth pointing out because you mentioned the uh, Italian breed of dog that you are also Italian and that um, it's worth pointing out here that not all watchmakers and not all independent watchmakers are Swiss. Uh, however, most of them end up in Switzerland at one point or another. Um, and I'd kind of love to hear your story about what what got you started in watchmaking. How did you initially like get interested or hear about watchmaking? Yeah, I mean, like uh, we, I, it's nice because uh, I, I was always dealing with with watches because uh, I come from a family that we have like four generation watchmakers, and uh, my grand grandfather already come to Switzerland to to get trained, and then he went working in uh, Argentina for Ulisten Arden and Bacheron Constantin. Then he came back to Italy. And uh, also my grandfather then was uh, was training watchmaking and he learned from him. And then he also came to Switzerland. And so me, as uh, the fourth generation, I was also sent to Switzerland to get get the training to, to, the, Swiss, uh, to the Swiss standard. And I was supposed to go back to Italy, but finally... Uh, Never come back. I always postpone, postpone, and now is is twenty two years that I am in Switzerland. <laughs> so I don't think I'm going to to go back to Italy. <laughs> but my, my grandfather is, is was still uh, still upset 
since he passed away about the fact that I never came back. But at the end, he accepted the fact that was a better chance in what you make it in Switzerland than in Italy. Yeah, absolutely. And and you came to Switzerland to go to Wolfstep, is that correct? Yeah, 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 yeah. I I had the chance that been uh, helped by Michel Parmigiani to go to to Wolfstep, and so I managed to do the refresher course. And then uh, the situation was was very good. I was, I was lucky to have very good training by Stephen McDonnell. And uh, Kari Butilainen at the time was the chief of the teacher there. And then I was always planning to go back to Italy, but at the end of every every year, I say, "Oh, I stay one more year because I want also to be able to do this and, and to do that." And at, at the end, I never, I never moved back because is uh, the, the, that's the, the cool thing about about Switzerland, the the watchmaking world, is that such a huge uh, environment full of such uh, different world of watchmaking and being and such different way of being watchmaker that you never stop to learn and discover new new things. Yeah. So, you know, I started as a watchmaker doing basically after service and following uh, developments. And then I end up uh, having the chance to to create uh, watches, develop watches, prototype watches, and you know work on complications. So all the time, something new was coming. So there was always an extremely good chance to to go forward and discover something. New. Yeah, absolutely. You you hit on something there. It sounds like the the watchmaking world and the the world of independent watchmaking in particular is really collaborative. Have you found that to sort of be the case as you've gone and progressed through your career? Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, me, I was very lucky because I I was learning from, for Vianne, I worked in Vianne Arte for five years. I was very lucky to to get there. I have the chance to really learn basically everything I, I know now or big, big base, or all the base that I developed. But yeah, is especially I would say the young generation. They they are much more collaborative than they were in the past. In the past was, was such a a big fight to succeed uh, that uh, watchmakers that were like more keeping secrets and more trying to to just take care of their survival. I would say, and uh, with new generations and maybe. We all suffered so much of the fact that uh, it was so difficult to get trained that uh, I think it changed a little bit our our approach in the in the way of doing. But I mean, Mia was very lucky because honestly, Diana was really really open minded, ready to to explain. There was no secret and give the chance to everybody to to do things that uh, that you can never do in India. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's that's amazing. And so from Wostep, if you were a brand new watchmaker, what what are the routes to becoming an independent watchmaker uh, that are available to you? <laughs> I mean, uh, I think what is really important and, and, and now is such a huge success independent watchmaking that uh, they forget, but the, the main thing is is the patience. So you need to be patient and be ready to wait years to, to learn and to improve your skill to start to get independent because being independent is not just a question of skills. It's also a question of mindsetting, 
understanding, taking care of a workshop is totally different to just uh, fix a watch or make a watch on your own. So you have to be to develop skills of uh, taking care of a team, deal with your team, and all this kind of thing. That is very is very different. So I think it's really important to have the the, 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 the patient to to wait the time that it, that you need. I mean, for example, Kari uh, told us when we were in Worcester, say okay, to become a watch to to can to say that you are a watchmaker, you need to wait at least work in watchmaking world at least for ten years. Yeah. And then in 10 years, you, you, you can say, I am a watchmaker. And I, I quite agree with it. I think you really need time to, to get to understand what, what, what is really is this, uh, this, this world and the technique that you need, discover, have the chance to experiment things and make errors uh, and, uh, and discover a little bit all the, complete side of the watchmaking world. Now, now is, is a little bit too easy to become independent because it's a, it's a good period for, for independence. So there is a big demand, there is a big interest, customers are totally changed from the past. Internet brings the chance to sell the watch through internet, to uh, communicate, to present yourself. In the past was not like this. So only big brands can have access to, to, to big customers. And so this for me, it creates from time to time a situation where people are not ready, but they they give a give a try. You know? Yeah, and uh, that is not bad. I mean, it is part of the evolution. That's also very good. A lot of independent are coming in. There's a lot of things coming. So this is the the good part. But maybe for the stability and for the job, is better to to be patient. Yeah. It's- I, I think about this all the time about how people arrive at independent watchmaking. And I feel like people go through periods where they work for bigger brands. They sort of learn the basics. They maybe move somewhere else where they learn more traditional watchmaking or more classical watchmaking skills or more, more refined skills. Um, and then you might work in sort of concepting for a little bit for someone else. And at that point, you might arrive at an idea that feels wholly yours and like you're ready to present it to the world. But it's it seems like it's a it's a long road to get to being an independent watchmaker, and there are many avenues that you could take to get there. Not just you know, hey, you went to Wostep, great. Here's your you know, here's your school watch. You're an independent watchmaker, and that seems like it's more popular now or more prevalent now than it was um, because of the internet and Instagram, and because people can can you know contact you from anywhere around the world at that point. Yeah, yeah. I I, to- I totally agree. Is uh. You know, you need time to develop your identity. That, that's what I would say. You know, now I think it was very helpful for me to work for, for different brands and develop watches for others to learn to, to study the identity of the brand. You know, what we do in our workshop, we, we call it a signature mechanique. So we give to the, to the customer a kind of a, a mechanical identity, me, me, mechanical logo or signature, signature. Yeah, and this helped me a lot to see a lot of style and find the style that fits to my my idea of watchmaking and to my my identity and try to get a identity that I feel is mine. I mean, I, I I'm not searching to make something that is totally different from the others or is something that the customer is saying, "Wow, I'm just trying to design a watch that fits to my taste." 
and is uh, to feed to something that it, it I would not say that is an expression of, of uh, my my person because I I don't I don't want to express in watches. I really I, I still am an artisan. I want to do the things right. Yeah. I want to do the, the I want to have a good quality and good uh, and it have to look nice in the respect of the traditional watchmaking. That is not just traditional technique, but it's just style, proportion and and yeah combination of finishing and this kind of thing. yeah absolutely what so is is your philosophy on watchmaking more on the mechanical side or more on sort of the finishing and aesthetic side uh, me um, i love uh, mechanics for me uh, basically the watch have to run right time properly and of course it have also to look nice but also the the, the beauty of the mechanics needs finishing but it's not that the watch is beautiful because the finishing is really easy to understand but uh, to understand the quality of the finishing for me is more important to to judge the proportion and the sense of the finishing yeah so that's why for me it's more important mechanics but it doesn't mean that finishing is not important it's just that the two things have uh, they must be equilibrated, but of course, for me, mechanics is the, the fundamental. Okay. Uh, so I want to I want to kind of come on to your atelier and starting your atelier. Obviously, you worked for a number of of other brands. Uh, you worked with another another of un, other amazing independent watchmakers. Obviously, you've mentioned Vianney, uh, Kari, Stephen McDonald, and so it comes time for you to open your own atelier. How did that come about? What? How did? How did you sort of start a workshop? Uh, I basically, start because I I went after I was working for Patek and Rolex. I I was not able to keep a, a proper job for for a long time, and then I said, well, "How is possible?" And then I I decided to go to to an analyst and say, "Well, what's the problem? Why I cannot fit?" And he told me to be, you cannot fit because you are somebody that is independent. You have to make things, but things have to make sense to you. You cannot just uh, follow rules. You have to do the things, follow the rules, but you have to understand the rules and, and respect also your ethical approach to, to watchmaking and uh, to the world. So finally, after these two experiences that were really strict and uh, really like army experience, I would say, uh, I decided to to open a workshop where I wanted to have a workshop that feels like uh, like I want it to be. And of course, as you mentioned, Stephen and uh, and Kari and and Viana, they were they were uh, basically t- teachers for me, and they some way they they showed me the way. Now, Stephen was mostly the fact that it was always somebody that really transmits me the the passion for the watchmaking for do the job in a certain way. And of course, Kari was. Uh, a model how he succeed and, and, and Viana was a model for how I, I would like to have a workshop a little bit messy but <laughs> with a lot of uh, things and to be really independent to to do all your components and every watchmaker that that is learning every day something yeah absolutely I think I have likened your kit your uh, your workshop 
to uh, a bit of a Michelin starred kitchen where maybe it's a little messier than a Michelin starred kitchen is, but everybody is, you know, you've got your team working and everybody's learning something new every day um, or sort of getting their hands dirty, doing something else that pushes their skills and their experience um, so that they, they learn and really become, I think what I would say, like fully competent, well-rounded watchmakers. Um, is that, is that fair? Yeah, yeah I see. I think the, the, yeah, it's, it's exactly difficult. For me, the, the, the good thing about the, the English word, the watchmakers, uh, to be a watchmaker, you need to be able to make watches. You know, now we are in a, an industry where basically the, the, everybody gets trained to get, uh, to become a watch assembler, watch repairer, but very few they they get the chance to to become really a watchmaker to be able to make the part of the watch to understand the mechanical problematics all this kind of stuff and this this is what makes the difference and this is what i want in my workshop yeah so that's really fundamental for the for the workshop and for my vision of uh, of the work yeah i think that's that's really helpful i think it gives i think it gives a lot of color around your philosophy on watchmaking uh, and your sort of theory on watchmaking and what it means to be a watchmaker, because I know that's um, I, I understand that that's a, a very important title for you. And it was not an easily won title. Um, you know, you, you have a lot of experience. You have a lot of skills. You've had a lot of uh, a lot of opportunities to work with amazing people. That's kind of uh, uh, built that skill set for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's exactly what what you said. That's exactly right. I mean, it's it's not that I have, I I don't have a talent. I just have a strong will, and I had the chance to meet person that they 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 helped me to to discover new thing. And you know, I, and I am crazy enough sometimes to take the risk to do things that I I don't know if one day they will work or they will get. Uh, Will be a success, but uh, all these three things together give me the chance. Uh, I mean, the base thing is the will, the the effort, the the mentality of being hard worker and serious worker. Uh, these three things combined together, they they bring you to the opportunity to then develop your knowledge. It's like it's like going to school, you know. If you don't study, you don't learn. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, I would I would disagree with you on the on the talent part there. I think you're very talented, but <laughs> um, you know, uh, we can we can debate that another time. So we've spoken about your atelier. I think it's worth pointing out the name of your atelier, which is Atelier Seven H Thirty Eight. I pardon me, I won't do it in French because I don't want to uh, absolutely ruin it. Uh, but could could you kind of tell the story behind the name of the atelier? Yeah, yeah. So the the workshop uh, was named uh, Atelier Seven H Thirty Eight. In French, is uh, Atelier Seven Hundred Twenty Eight, and is uh, connected to to time. And it was the the hour when the first kid of the of the the group of partners when we founded the the workshop was born. So uh, we always find it cool, and we are really a, a group of people that we have. Uh, me, I have three kids. My business partner have three kids. We are really family oriented and, and kids oriented uh, so for us is is very important i always wanted to keep because they put the two things together the time and uh, the family and uh, and uh, somehow the future you know because our kids uh, are our 
our future. And I hope maybe one day one of my kids uh, will take over my workshop. So do, do any of them <laughs> spend time in the workshop with you now? Do they show any interest in, in hanging out with you at the workshop? So I, I force them to the workshop as my, my father and my <laughs> grandfather used to do. You know, me was a nightmare. I was, was a kid, like seven years old, watching my grandfather fixing watches two, three hours in the afternoon. Uh, was uh, was tough job and so I I tried to force them less than what I was I was forced when I was young, but uh, yeah I tried to bring them here. But for the time being, my 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 older kid is is a very good skier and is basically focusing on skiing and is not very very often. Uh, well, he's traveling a lot. Is doing doing sports every day so doesn't have a lot of free free time but the other two youngers they they come from time to time to the workshop and then you know when they are home from school and we don't have nobody taking care of them they come with me they are in the workshop so so is uh i try to 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 bring them the the, the interest that's amazing yeah but I, I don't want yeah to to be like it was for me that it was something that it was uh obligation and some kind your your path is already already straight and you have to go this direction yeah absolutely because w- w- what happened with me was this you know that uh, since i was since a very young age uh, uh, next to my grandfather fixing watches watching learning being in the workshop be in the shop uh, at some stage i decided i don't want to do to do watchmaking and for five years i i was at university doing doing economics and uh, communication <laughs> communication studies <laughs> but after when i finished i came back because i said okay it's not my yeah. job but but at some stage i have to have some kind of uh, family re- make some kind of family revolution yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> so so you've got a, a a pretty amazing team at your workshop I'm curious, as as you guys are working uh, throughout the day, are you listening to music in the workshop, or are people listening to music individually? What kind of what can you take us through what goes on day to day in the workshop? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like we, everybody's listening to his own music. From time to time, when we are fewer and we have a little bit the same uh, taste of music, we we listen to the same uh, same music. Maybe that happens especially when we have like long nights and are maybe me, me and Stuart, he listened to a crazy pod, American podcast with all the weirdo music. <laughs> <laughs> For me, when I listen to this, this radio, I always uh, have good memories because it was the memory when we were just me and him doing long nights, trying to finish in watches for Buzz Affair and things like this. And, uh, but now that we, we, we are five, you know, it's difficult to uh, everybody have the same taste. So everybody got uh, earplugs and, and listen a little bit to what he wants. But where we, we get all together, we talk is the fact that, you know, we, I really like coffee. So we, we have a, a nice coffee machine. So we take coffee together three, four times a day, <laughs> five times a day. So we are all this morning with we discuss and then when we, share uh, problems that we have using machine doing things so these are the moments where the, the community is, is really together but you know at the end of the day for me watchmaking especially as we do it is uh, is something that is solitary work you know we, we are a team we need each other to to finish our project 
But at the end of the day, there are moments where it's just you against your your beast, uh, your 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 big problem, and and try to solve it. And you, of course, you ask for a solution from the others. But then after, when you have to make things, you need to be alone, concentrate, and do do your own that's, thing. So that's really interesting. Do you do you find yourself enjoying the puzzle? And do you do you every once in a while hang on to a question that you're working on to see if you can you can challenge yourself to figure it out? Um, rather than asking for help right away? Uh, yeah, me, me I, I learned from my stupidity in the past <laughs> to ask all the time, all the time. I, I mean, my, my, my grandfather taught me one, 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 good, uh, one good sentence that I always keep with me. He was always telling me, anyway, also from the shoemaker, you can learn some watchmaker, watchmaking, yeah. So I mean, you everybody can can give you an idea, can give you a suggestion that can be good, and then it's up to you to to see if it fits with uh, with your thing or not. Of course, at the beginning, I I try to to, to fight alone, but uh, I also like to to hear other other person advice because everybody can can express is. Uh, his opinion as long as uh, he uses his brain. I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's also good, you know, when, when you have to, to express your problem, you already uh, understand better your problem. You know, when you put it in words, already to explain the problem that you have obliges you to have a mindset that uh, allows you to, to understand better the, the problems. And uh, maybe in this time, you already see the solution. Or maybe when the person you make him a question and the person don't understand what you're asking, when you try to explain it better, you little by little you discover sometimes the the solution. So that's also something that I find very very important. This this kind this side of communication because it's uh, uh, it's very helpful to to do problem solving. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's fascinating too that. You have to have the right words to explain the problem to somebody else. And if you aren't explaining the problem correctly to someone, um, you're either going to get a solution that doesn't fit the problem or you don't have a good enough understanding of the problem to be able to share it with to ask for a solution. Uh, so it forces you to learn a little bit as you go. Yeah, yeah exactly like this. You got it right. Has that been your style as a watchmaker is kind of more learn as you go? Uh, or did you set out kind of specific goals for yourself that you wanted to learn how to do certain things within watchmaking? Or, or has it been a journey of kind of learning, seeing what's possible, and then trying to stretch yourself to be able to do either the next complication or to bring a movement to life? Um and I'm, I'm thinking specifically here in your partnership with Jacob and co in helping them develop uh, watches and, and the crazy stuff that you were asked to do, finding, finding solutions to those problems too. Yeah. I mean, my, my, my vision in things, it, it really goes with my, my passion that is mountains and hiking is always like this. I, I see uh, a mountain, the problem, something where I want to get. And I start walking to get there. Is uh, <laughs> and then you know the the biggest success is always to reach the peak of the mountain, and then after also be able to to come back to to come back home. You know, 
the, the, that's also what is beautiful in mountain, you know, that there is a challenge to, to reach the peak, but after it's also a challenge also to come back. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the same thing for me in, uh, in watchmaking, you know, is I never say, yeah, I want to do this. I want to do that. No, I, little by little, all the things, uh, appear i discover discover new thing it is like you know uh this kind of uh geographist of the 19th century that they were discovering the world it was a little bit like this i see something new and i say i want to to learn this i want to get there and then i start working to to get to the the result the, that i want that's really my my philosophy in, in watchmaking yeah and that's how i learned i mean like this learning by trials errors and uh, efforts. Amazing. Um, I, I will refer people out and I will link the in the metal podcast that you did uh, that speaks about uh, your experience working on the Jacob and co. Forgive me. I think it's the astronomia. Is that right? Astronomia. Astronomia. Yeah. Uh, that that watch is incredible, but I will refer people out to that video because it's a deep dive. Um the things you did to make that watch work are insane. <laughs> and the, uh, to me, the, the balancing act and the way that you discuss the, the t having to balance the materials, you know, one side to the other, uh, and like, you know, testing paints and enamels and like, oh, we can't use that because it's, you know, one gram too heavy now and the whole thing doesn't work. <laughs> I feel like that gives, that, that would give people an appreciation for, for how strict the tolerances can be within watchmaking and, and how, you know, just, just how carefully you have to consider uh, balances and approaches and um, with micro mechanics, you know, we can, as humans uh, using, using your, your thoughts on hiking, you know, we can think about hiking up a mountain with a 50 pound backpack, you know, it's going to be really heavy. If you cut that to 20 pounds, like, yeah, that's a lot lighter. Uh, and that's probably going to be more comfortable. And you have to think about the wear and tear on a much smaller scale. Um, but it still exists. And so I will refer people to that podcast because I think the way you describe uh, making that watch is incredible. Yeah, I think it's, it's really also explaining, yeah, how, how it works for us. You know, we are a team and I am somebody that uh, sometimes I really say uh, I want to do this, but sometimes I don't have the, a clue that I was going to, to work or, or you cannot, I mean, I'm not in a... Uh, astrophysical engineer, so I don't fix all the problems. I don't make all the calculations. I just say, okay, go. And then we, wh when you finalize the construction that you thought, and then you have to solve the problems that you you didn't did not consider. And for example, for astronomy, this was the this was the biggest problem that I never took in uh, in consideration because for me, at the beginning, the big challenge was making this this tripolar to be on rotating and. Uh, Getting the dial always, uh, always straight, and, and things like this. But there are all problems that, at the end of the day, for me are secondary. And uh, at the end of the day, I discovered there is a major problem only when I I finish the the watch. For example, one of classic things of my of my watches is that most of the time I make uh, now less because. Uh, I get used by made huge mistake on the setting system very often because it's the, it's the part that is somehow the most simple. And then I say, okay, it's fine. And then when I, when I finish the, <laughs> the watch, I have like 
problems like the hands turning two times too fast or, or uh, <laughs> that is very a basic yeah calculation very simple to do but yeah sometimes uh, yeah it was the it was like it's like the core fundamental part of a watch but you were focused on the much bigger problems like the stuff that you didn't know if you could do like that stuff you know you can go back and fix right yeah 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 i mean there's also the 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 part that i like of how we work that if it's something wrong we are not uh obliged to to stay where we were we can i can redo the watch from scratch to solve the problem i i don't want to fix the problem just like making the minimal effort so if there is a problem and the problem needs a major modification uh, I do the major modification. I do everything from scratch. There's no no worry. I don't want to keep what uh, what was there before because I kind of a lazy or I have this kind of economical uh, thought that okay, I have ten of these pinions. I want to use it. So yeah, uh, no, I I, I I remake the the piece from scratch till it gets to the performance that I want. That that's how we that's how I work, and that's why. For example, for us, prototyping is a fundamental part of the work. Yeah, that's that's incredible. I I don't, you know, I I think there are many people who would take that same approach, but I I don't know that there are that many who would take that same approach, who might approach it from the quickest solve possible. And so I think that's incredible that you're willing to basically, you know, in prototyping too, take a watch that may work, but isn't the best possible expression of it, tear it apart, figure out what you could improve and then improve it and launch that improved model. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, you know, also, also what we do sometimes when prototype get, get out, you know, now also prototype gets sold. So of course we get a watch of the quality of the, of a final watch, finishing everything, but it's still the really first piece that we, we produce. That's also why I don't wear a watch because uh, also prototype we <laughs> we are obliged to sell to to make a it's, living. It's worth know? noting that Luca and I had a, a little bit of a, a sidebar discussion before this about what watch he was wearing, uh, and he made it very clear he wasn't wearing a watch. So uh, if you own a prototype of one of the watches that he's made, you own the watch that he was going to be wearing. So you're directly responsible for why Luca isn't wearing a watch today. <laughs> yes. You are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I, I think the prototyping work that you do is incredible. And I, I think that's a, a route to independent watchmaking that most people don't understand is that being a conceptor or prototyping for other brands is, is a means of being an independent watchmaker because you are being paid for your work, your time, your development, your ideas. Um, but you're not putting your name on the watch at the end of the day, but it, but it is a way I think to be an independent watchmaker. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. Yeah. For me is, uh, is absolutely, you know, it was very funny. I, okay. It's, it's no more, uh, a big secret, but I, I launched my, a little bit of my, uh, my watches as a, as an independent watchmaker. And, uh, one of the two watches that I, that I designed it was without logo. There was no name on the on the dial, and everybody was asking why, why there is no name on the dial. They went, because <laughs> I mean, I, I never imagined a watch to put my name 
on the dial. I mean, I, I just for me, what is sometimes the the writing uh, on the on the dial is uh, it disturbs me. You know, it's so difficult to find a nice po uh, police and now how you call it font, a nice font, and uh, find it, put it in the right way, and all these kind of things. So for me, is uh, is not the the base of of my work put my name on the on the watch for me is to to make something that works that that is a watch then if there is another name on the on the watch is not is not the base yeah my name is not the the core of my passion of my vision of being independent now, now being independent for a lot of people is just put your name on the is put your name on the dial For me, being independent is be able to do all your components, do your construction, make your own watch, train your team, be create a workshop that makes watches, and don't need to use uh, a lot of uh, suppliers for for do your your things, but be able to conceive completely completely what you do. And then after, if there's somebody else's name on it, what's the problem? But being great watchmakers working for for Breguet and working for for fantastic brands uh, in the past, and they never had the need to to put their name. Uh, they put some hidden signature here and there, or but there was no no basic need to to put the name in in front. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I love that that's your philosophy on watchmaking. And I think that it's a unique philosophy because I think there are a lot of people um, who want to put their name on the on the dial and to be really front and center with the brand. Um, and I think your approach is unique. And you, you mentioned creating your own watches. I kind of want to go on to uh, Derek because I think most people will know you from uh, the Derek Pratt series that you did with, uh, Perpetuel. Um, and, and I'd love to talk to you about your connection to Derek and what's so important about preserving Derek's legacy for you. Yeah. I mean, Le Derek has always been an absolute reference when, when I was, when I was watchmaker in Switzerland already at the time was, uh, was very famous between the the watchmaker that they have knowledge but he was not at all famous in for the for the big public even if he was doing great things and then he was always a figure that always have a huge fascination for me because he is is really somebody that managed always to follow his his way and do real watchmaking uh, without As, as we said before, without being front. Sometimes made watches for Robert Jurgensen, developed watches for them, made beautiful things, and he did not put his, his name on it. There are very few the watch that have uh, his name of, uh, the name of Derek. But he was doing incredible things, experimental escapements, fantastic pocket watch, handling all the techniques perfectly. And, uh, and so the, the, this big fascination at the end of the day, arrived well, was with me and uh, when we opened the, the workshop I have um, a watchmaker working uh, was the first watchmaker that I work with that is still in the workshop 
And uh, he was the, the guy in charge of the first uh, prototype of direct watches that was presented at the symposium that the uh, British Horological Society did. And the uh, first thing I asked him was like several years that we don't, don't meet. Now we will start working together. And I said, but what happened with the, the direct watches? The PT was beautiful watch. And why stop there? Finally, they did the prototype, and then the, the watch cannot uh, continue because they have still some technical issue. Derek passed away, so they, they didn't have the time to, to finalize the, the watch. And uh, I, I proposed to, to the family on my free time to re, uh, redesign the watch and make it work uh, correctly to the standard. And, uh, and maybe if once the watch was working to, to sell it, to, to preserve the name and to have the chance to have more wristwatch because Derek never did a wristwatch in, in his life. To have more research that can have a, a wider public uh, to bring the, the the general knowledge of Derek to the level where he where he was supposed to be, like uh, not only for uh, uh, passionate but also to normal normal people because we don't forget. I mean, Derek won the Tampio medal, gold, silver, uh, Gaia prize. Uh, two of his watches, they are in the Science Museum in London. So we, we cannot say that he is not a famous watchmaker. I mean, he, he, he succeed in, in recognition that it, it is incredible. I mean, I, I cannot even imagine to have a watch in, a, in the Science Museum in, in London. You know? And then we start to, to get the watch. Watch don't get in running. The, the movement came out. Very, very nice. It was a huge work to, to make it thinner, to give him a look that was uh, respecting the, the the design of Derek. And all the time, I have to have the, the agreement of uh, of Jenny and the family about the design. I think that is. And so we finally get the watch running. We were ready to to propose the watch, and all of a sudden, we discover that somebody stole the name of Derek. So we cannot sell the watch. <laughs> and so we had to get for nearly five years in a we uh, Jenny and the family they get get in a an illegal fight to get the the name back. So after ten years after the death of Derek, the death of Derek, the guy that bought the name finally never made a watch with the name Derek Pratt. So the name was free again, and so we we managed to through court to to get the the name back. And then after this moment, we, we, we start to, to propose the world, the, the watch to the, to the public. Yeah. So it's a really a history that where, I mean, for me was a, was a human challenge to promote, uh, Derek legacy and to preserve the name of Derek is, there are two things together because uh, very often we, we all just see the fact that the, the Derek Pratt watch is, is out, uh, people like it, uh, like the design, like the, the mechanics, how it's done. But very few people, since they don't know the, the story, they don't understand the importance of making a watch with the name Derek Pratt. Because as long as the watch exists, the family can preserve the name. If not, your trademark falls. And that's exactly what happened 
to, to get back the name. I mean, the, the guy was not making watches, so the family can claim back the name. But uh, nowadays, I mean, if you don't preserve, if you don't protect your name, so anybody can steal your, steal your name if you don't have a trademark. Yeah, absolutely. That's, it's scary, but it's also, you know, I, I love that you've sort of taken this project on um, and that you're working with his family um, and that you're preserving his legacy because he is one of those watchmakers who I think is very well known amongst watchmakers, uh, but not well known amongst the general public. And, and I have seen the watch in person. Um, it's absolutely stunning. I think it's an, an incredible watch. Um, just the, the way everything comes together from the case to the dial, to the movement, really it, it, I I think when we were together, Luke, I spent about 45 minutes just staring at the movement, uh, and just, just enjoying it. So it, it really is an incredible watch. I'm sure the family is grateful for your efforts, uh, to preserve Derek's legacy and to promote his legacy. Um, and, and if you have the opportunity to check it out, it's a, it's truly a special watch and it's very, very incredible. So, uh, congratulations to you and the team. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, for, for me, it's, it's very important. It's always important to, to listen what people think and to, to have this, uh, approach that the, the people see some of Derek's work in the in the piece. And, and for me, it's important that the watch is a success because for me, Derek is somebody that in his life deserved more success than, than, than he had. And basically, it was somebody that never, never wanted to be famous, you know, just want to have his nice life and enjoy a penny fart bicycle and... Uh, uh, do his pot pot boat and ride bicycle and yeah yeah his uh, watchmaking was his passion but his name was never his passion you know a little bit like and and this is also what I learned from him I learned from his person his family the the idea that you you can do very well your work and the most important thing is what is what you do is not uh, is not yeah absolutely I love that that's um. That's a really great sentiment. Um, and, and I think it's so cool that you have learned from him and his family and you still have uh, Jenny and the family to kind of learn from uh, and, and to see how Derek's work can, can influence you and how his philosophy can influence you. And I, I think it has. Like I, I can see today um, from our conversation that it has. So yeah, yeah they are, they're very strict. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> Jenny is, uh, I, I call her the boss. You know, because, uh, she's, uh, she's, uh, yeah, she, she, and I think it's important because he is, uh, the wife. So you have to preserve the, the name of, uh, her husband. And, uh, yes, it's important that she really puts limit to, to several things to, to avoid things that are not logic or they don't respect what it was supposed to be. Yeah, absolutely. How it was supposed to be. I, I'm sure we'll have more conversations, uh, on, on Derek and on those, uh, you know, on, on what you're doing with Derek's watches in the future. I kind of want to turn to, to you now. I, I kind of want to hear what's, what's coming next from Lucas Oprana, what are you what are you working on and and maybe what's a watch that you would love to make 
I think that I'm lucky enough because very often other brands, they ask me to make the watch that I would love to do. And uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, I think I'm lucky enough to have done so much different things uh, that I did a lot of things. I mean, there is no watch that I did that I didn't have pleasure in, in doing it. For me, it's not important that is classic watchmaking, uh, high-end watchmaking. For me, it's interesting that it's, it's a watch, it's a, it's something original, something different, some mechanical challenge, challenge involved in the, in the watch. And uh, yes, I, maybe I would like to do one day, one grand sonnery. Yeah, just just to to do something that I I I didn't did till till now. Yeah, or maybe maybe uh, this would be a great challenge. But it, yeah, of course, these are also challenges that if you want to do it on your own is uh, it takes so much time to do it in the way that uh, I want to do it that you need to have somebody that uh, is going to support you in this uh, this challenge. That is either a brand asking you for a development or uh, a customer crazy enough to wait five years to get uh, <laughs> some, <laughs> some, uh, some, uh, some uh, crazy watch. But now customers are getting used to, to, to be patient to get their watch. That's <laughs> about <Some, some>, uh, <laughs> Oh, my my customer uh, basically they are they are all patient because they understand that uh, that to get uh, to the level that I want sometimes it takes much more time. It's not that this is not we are not working on the piece. Uh, we are trying to make it better, yeah, better and working better. I mean, because for me, I, I cannot deliver something that is not working right. Yeah. Absolutely. That makes sense. So I prefer to, to piece some customers sometime uh, for, for the delay, but it, as long as the delay don't, the watch don't respect the, the standard, sometimes they say, ah, oh, but you, like, can I have a baby one month before? No, if I need one more month, I need one more month. And maybe after one month, it's still not working right. So I need uh, other time because it's what I do. I, I don't take modules and do some. I always try to do something that is uh, is is new or anyway is uh, is made by me. It's not taking things from from others. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, and I'm curious. So, so you said Grand Sonnery. What would be your ideal watch if you were going to design a watch that you were going to get to keep and wear? What would what would that watch be? Pocket watch. Okay. A, a nice, a nice pocket watch because I love the the fact that on pocket watch you can still do glass case yourself in the on the lathe in a in a certain way, and uh, yeah, a, a very nice, simple uh, to be on big big uh, cage, uh, very classic, very linear with a beautiful enamel dial and very classic very classic but yeah i would say something like this yeah but big, yeah i would like big. Something <laughs> big. <laughs> so basically a marine chronometer pocket watch is, is what you're telling me <laughs> exactly 
Okay. Or or what 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 I would like would be a very very nice uh, regulator. Re yep. Uh, regulator, regulator. Yeah. Both yeah. both work. Yeah. Like some kind of uh, refler we on a vacuum tube. Yeah. I would like to make something like this. Yeah. Yeah. This I would like. Also. Interesting. Cool. We'll do a big nice precision clock. That's nice. Yeah. Did you have have you made a lot of clocks or pocket watches uh, in in your time as a watchmaker, or have you just worked on them from a restoration standpoint? I, I worked uh, basically. I worked on them for for rest for rest. Okay, but I mean, in, in Italy, on the family shop, we were doing like uh, clocks and pocket watches like uh, every day. And my grandfather was basically this. He said. Everything that is modern watching and stuff like this, that the problems and the and the work is uh, just exchanging parts. We leave it to to others. Me and you, we take the time to do to do pocket watches, cylinders. We were doing a lot. Cool, beautiful, and uh, yeah, ground very nice clocks. Because oh, that's also cool. I mean, because all all clocks uh, you can really still find uh, everywhere. Beautiful clocks. Uh, historical beautiful clocks, and you know it is also nice because you go in the, you go to take it in the house of the person, you break it, you bring it to your place, then you bring it back. When you, you know, in Italy it was like this: you bring back the the clock. The the guy was offering you a coffee, a glass of wine, and you talk together, you discuss together. You know, from time to time, I still remember my 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 grandfather. We went to this beautiful house in. Uh, nearby where I live, and they have this very nice electrical Brie uh, precision clock. Okay. And uh, we went, we went to bring it back, and then the, he asked to the owner of the house, where do you want to put it? And the guy was like, I would put it in my kitchen here. And then my, my grandfather was a little bit pleased to say, I mean, a clock like this, I would see, you know, in, in your, in your uh, living room, you next to it smoking a pipe in a clean and uh, and warm place in a right temperature place. I would not put it next to the kitchen full of grease. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Under understandable. So you you participate. <laughs> so you you can uh, yeah you you can participate to the life of the of the of the customer and say oh maybe I will put it there you know. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Well, I, uh, I hope we get the chance to actually go look at, uh, at pocket watches and clocks at some point together, because I feel like you would be uh, an interesting person to, to spend time with looking at, uh, at I those. love, I love pocket watch. I love pocket. Me too. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious to, uh, to, uh, learn more from you on the pocket watch side. Maybe that's, uh, episode two is, uh, the pocket watch podcast, but, uh, we'll, yes, uh, for sure. <laughs> I'm highly aware that you, uh, you have to go take care of your family. So I have, I have three questions that I want to end with really quickly. Um, and, and we call this the rapid fire round. And I'm curious, do, do you feel a pull to protect watchmaking? Uh, I think watchmaking should protect, uh, himself. I think the person should protect uh, the the watchmaker should learn to protect themselves also in the way they choose where to work and how to work. Amazing. Um, 
And if there was one thing you could tell people in one sentence about the watch industry or watchmaking, what is it that you wish people knew? That uh, watchmaking is, uh, is like all other uh, sectors that is plenty of interesting things. There are plenty of uh, artisan, but not always what it seems it is. And uh, when when luxury luxury and trend get into this kind of world, sometimes it kills the soul of the watchmaking words and other words. Amazing. Um, maybe we'll dive into that in a future state because I I have a thousand questions, but I know you need to run. Um, where can people find you, Luca? They can find me somewhere uh, near uh, between Neuchâtel and and, uh, and Geneva, uh, where we are uh, in. A, okay, we are in a, in a nice castle in uh, near Neuchâtel with a beautiful view. And if they want to find me, they they have to search. They will find me. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Well, Luca, I, I want to thank you for coming on Forward Momentum today. This has been a great chat. I've, I've really enjoyed learning from you about independent watchmaking, how you became a watchmaker and your family history with watchmaking, and just what it is that you do and why this is so important to you. Uh, I think I have a much better understanding of, of what your philosophy of watchmaking is, um, and it's, it's been awesome chatting with you. It's just always so fun to chat with you. I feel like we have a lot of laughs and we always find something to joke about. So uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you very much for me. It was also a great Absolutely. Pleasure. I look thank forward you. to having you back on to talk about all, you know, myriad other things, maybe not even watches, maybe just something different, wine, hiking. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, both. We'll, <laughs> we'll find something and um, I'm looking forward to seeing you soon. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Forward Momentum. Thank you to Luca Soprano for coming on the show today. As you heard, Luca is clearly a master watchmaker who is very precise and meticulous about his craft. He has a great story and has a great story about how he became an independent watchmaker. It's not just about creating a watch that has your name on it. It's about learning the skills, the technology, and having the ability to be more self-reliant and to make watches that you believe in. And I think that's a really important story about independent watchmaking. So thank you, Luca Soprano, for joining us today. I've really enjoyed getting to chat with him. I've really enjoyed getting to know Luca since Watches and Wonders this year. He's a tremendous force in the watch industry. Uh, he's hard to track down, as he said, but he is a great force. Look for great things coming from Luca in the near future. Thank you very much for tuning in to Forward Momentum. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more of these stories of independent watchmaking. And as always, keep moving forward. <laughs>